Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, one of the great men of the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, one of the great revivers of the deen. Now when we mention these names, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, now we hear these great names and we have a longing and a yearning. When can the Ummah witness someone like this once more? How can we once more have a leader like this to establish the justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So whenever we mention these names, Umar and Salahuddin, and you know, we're, always, we're always waiting, we're always yearning. We want these, you know, these figures to appear once more in the Ummah Muhammad sallallahu I want you to understand something. These kinds of leaders, they don't just appear in the Ummah magically. We're not going to be waiting around during everything that's happening to the Ummah Muhammad sallallahu during all everything that we witness. And one day, miraculously, someone's going to appear magically out of the Ummah, like Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, and right all the wrongs of the Ummah. That's not the way it works. See, these men, they were made, they were not born. They didn't, even in their times, even when Islam was established, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz didn't just appear magically in the Ummah and become Khalifa for those two years and a bit or so, and then implement everything that he implemented and establish the justice that now a thousand and so years later we are still talking about. These men, they came from somewhere. These men were made. It is events in their lives before this period, before he became Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, the, the fifth righteous Khalifa. Before that period, there were many events in his life from his birth onwards that led to that period when Umar became the Khalifa and established the justice that he established. And without those incidents and those events that happened before, we could never ever have, have led to that period where Umar became this righteous Khalifa. So this is very, very important to understand. Why is it important? Because if we want these letters to appear once more, and we yearn for that, we would love that. But we have to understand, for these leaders to appear once more, the Ummah of Muhammad must produce these men once more. We need the correct environment, the correct condition, the correct understanding on how to produce men and women that can have this positive effect like Umar ibn Abdul Aziz on the Ummah of Muhammad When you understand that point, where they came from, how do you produce them, then inshallah, that is the methodology we'll work on and use to once more produce these men because they will not magically appear. So understand Umar and his righteousness and the justice that he's, he established, he must go back. Not just back to when he was born, but even before he was born. We must go back all the way back to the life in the time of Umar ibn, Ab uh, ibn al-Khattab. Umar ibn al-Khattab See, there was an incident that occurred that many years later produced Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. Umar, when he was the Khalifa of the Muslims, he was known for his patrols. When he was the Khalifa, he knew that his responsibility was to look after the affairs of the Muslims. So it's not just a day job, but even the nights, he would spend them looking worried. He would patrol the streets. 
who is needy, who is poor, who has some issues, who has some troubles, who is doing haram. So during one of these patrols, he, as he was passing through a neighborhood, he overheard a conversation coming from inside a house. There was a mother and a daughter, and they used to sell milk. And the mother, because she wants more milk, she wants to sell more, more money, she said to the daughter, dilute the milk so we can have more milk, dilute it with water, and so we can sell more. The daughter, she said, but this is haram, this is cheating. Omar said, we can't dilute the milk because you're not selling pure milk anymore, you're cheating the people. And so the mother said, what are you worried about Omar? Where is, where is Omar? Omar is not watching us. And the daughter said some amazing words. He said, if Omar isn't watching us, but Allah is watching us. If we're, if we're doing something haram, what does it matter if Omar can see us or not? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's what we should be more worried about. Allah is watching us cheating. If Omar doesn't catch us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees us and we are sinning. So Omar was astounded when he overheard this conversation. So the next day he, he sent someone to find out who this mother and daughter are. And when he found out who they were, he called in his sons and he said to him, there is this woman, I have heard this conversation, and one of you must marry this woman. And his son Asim was the one that married this, this pious, this woman of taqwa. And Asim and this woman, they had a daughter who, who later on married uh, the daughter of Marwan. His name, uh, the son of Marwan, his name was Abdul Aziz. Uh, he was the son of the Khalifa. So later on, she married Abdul Aziz. And then Abdul Aziz and his daughter, they had a son whose name was Omar ibn Abdul Aziz. So this is, the, this is the, the, the family lineage. This is the chain. This is where Omar ibn Abdul Aziz came from, radiallahu anhu. From the very outset, that household, even before he was born, the household was built upon taqwa. This woman, when Omar overheard this conversation, he wasn't worried about how she looked. He wasn't worried about what wealth they had, what lineage she was from. The first and major concern was he said to his sons, you must marry this woman because of her taqwa. And so from the outset, the, the household was established upon the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the fear of Allah, the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imagine this is, this, is the, you know, this, is, this is his upbringing, this is his beginning. And this is how the household must be built. When you build it on goodness, when you build it on taqwa, there can only come about goodness from that. And Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, even before his birth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala built his household upon taqwa from this pious and righteous woman. And so this was the family of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz from the lineage of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. And when he was born, he was born and he lived in Medina. And his father, Abdul Aziz, his brother became the Khalifa. And his father, he put for, because they came from the royal family, they were wealthy and they were well off. So as they did in those days, they would get a scholar, a full-time scholar to look after the upbringing of their child. That was that person's job. I want you to teach my child fiqh. I want you to teach them Quran. I want you to teach them Arabic. I want you to teach them manners, character, taqwa. That was that person's job, to instill the Islamic character in that child. So Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, he had a scholar whose, whose, whose role and his time was just to, to, to raise Umar on the deen. 
And it, just to give you a short story, an example of how strict Abdul Aziz, his father, Omar's father was, and he, the, the, his teacher, his sheikh was, was that one day, Omar Abdul Aziz, he was getting his hair done by his slave. He had, he had long, beautiful hair. And he would spend a lot of time, the slaves, fixing his hair when he was a child. And so he was late to the, to, to the congregational prayer, to the jama'ah. And when the prayer finished, his shaykh came to him and told, asked him, why were you late? Why weren't you at the start of Takbir al-Ihram? Why weren't you there? Omar said, I was getting my hair done. And so this shaykh immediately, he wrote to his father. His father at that time, he was the governor of Egypt. He was given that role by his brother as the governor of Egypt. So his shaykh wrote to, 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 to Umar's father and he told him, your son today, this occurred, he was late to Salat al-Jama'ah because the slave was doing his hair. So the father, immediately concerned about the welfare and the upbringing of his child and the importance of the deen and the prayer in his child, he wrote back to his shaykh and he said, take him and cut his hair, cut him bold so that he can learn and never commit that same mistake. And so this is how Umar was nurtured, rahimahullah. He was nurtured in a household that was concerned about his upbringing. He lived in the, in the city of the Messenger of Allah, Madina al-Munawwara. And at that time still, many, some of the companions still lived, even though they were old, they still lived. And many of the tabi'een, the great scholars of the tabi'een, they all lived in Madina al-Munawwara. So while his father was governor of Egypt, his son stayed behind to be raised in the city of the Messenger of Allah And why was he left behind? Because Abdullah ibn Umar, the great Sahabi, he was still alive. And he was the uncle of the mother of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. So to Umar, it's his uncle as well, his khal. And so when they were going to follow his father to Egypt, Umar asked, his niece, leave Umar, uh, Abdullah ibn Umar, he asked his niece, he said, leave Umar with me. I will raise him. So imagine now, Umar, he's left behind to be under the eye, under the care of Abdullah ibn Umar, one of the greatest companions of the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And Abdullah ibn Umar had such a positive, positive, positive effect on Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. The Umar ibn Aziz, when he was still young, he would come into the house and he would say to his mother, I want to be mithla khali. I want to be like, his, like my uncle, like Abdullah ibn Umar. So already from a young age, there were people around him to have a positive effect. He already had an outlook on life. Where do I want to go? Even as a child, I want to be like one of the greatest companions. So already he set himself a task and an objective. And so Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, this was his nurturing. He was raised upon the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was raised, he was taught Quran, he was taught Arabic, he was taught Hadith, he memorized the Quran. He became in his own right a great scholar. But all because he was nurtured, he was looked after. His father put a shaykh to, to, to raise him. He was left with his uncle Abdullah ibn Umar to raise him upon the deen. He was left in the city of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So all of these skills, all of these qualities that we knew later on, his taqwa, his righteousness, they were being nurtured in him from when he was still a child. He was growing up on the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So before he became the righteous khalifa, he was raised to be righteous. He was made to be righteous. It didn't happen by chance or accidentally. 
it is it is this environment that later on produced Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, the righteous Khalifa for the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So that's very well a vital thing to understand. These men must be produced before you become this righteous Khalifa. You must have the right environment around you. You must have the right people to look after, positive role models, someone to aspire to be like. And Umar ibn Abdul Aziz was given all of these, uh, all of these things were, were given, were given to him to nurture him, to raise him upon his character, and to become what he became later on, rahimahullah. And as he grew up, being nurtured around the scholars, being with the scholars upon the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa taala, even you know, that's not enough. You need to acquire, to, to become a leader, to become a Khalifa. It's not enough that you're just raised with knowledge, with taqwa, with character. But to become a Khalifa is an enormous task. Right? You're responsible for every single citizen under your care. Thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. It's not a role that you can just jump into. But you need some qualities, some leadership qualities. You need to be politically astute, politically aware, know how to maneuver, know how to care and look after people, how to run an economy. So Abdul ibn Abdul Aziz, before he became a Khalifa, he was made, he was put in charge to be the governor of Medina, the city of the Messenger where he was raised, where he was nurtured. He was also made governor of the city of the Messenger of and the qualities that we saw in Umar later on as the Khalifa, they were being nurtured from this time. So he gathered around him the scholars to be his shura council. So he would talk to them, he would listen to their advice. And he established from the outset, even this period, justice and peace. He wasn't there, he knew his role was not to collect taxes from the people. Because at that time, Banu Umayyah, when they were in charge, they were the royal family, the ruling family. There was a lot of oppression, a lot of dhulam. And they dealt with people really harshly. They collected taxes in a harsh way. And if you rebelled or retaliated or if there was any angst, they would put down any rebellion and they'll put it down ruthlessly. You can't go against them. You can't advise them. Anyone that's against the state will be put down. A lot of times people were killed in a very ruthless way. And this was the way. Either you tow, you, you conform, you tell the line, if there's any opposition, if we're doing something that you dislike, no opinions could be voiced. You were dealt with in a very, very harsh way. And this is the way they dealt with people. And especially with, with, uh, with leaders and governors uh, like Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, who we know, he was, he was really a tyrant and he was really ruthless. And these are some of the men Banu Umayyah put as leaders of the army and generals and governors to really you know, stamp the authority upon the Ummah. So Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, he became the governor of Medina in this kind of environment. And so when he was establishing justice, he was looking after people. If people had any concerns, he, he wouldn't rush uh, to ex execute them or jail them or oppress them. But he would allow people to voice their concerns, voice their opposi opposition. If it was legitimate, he would listen. He wasn't there on the necks of people collecting taxes, but established fairness and justice. And so his governorship stood out. And the rest of the governors and the rest of the leaders of Banu Umayyah, they were really annoyed. And it got to a point where a lot of people were rushing to be under the governorship of Umar ibn al-Aziz, running away from the tyranny 
of the other governors and the oppression of the other governors. So Umar had this period where he was the uh, governor of Medina before he became Khalifa to really build those leadership qualities that he would later on become so vital when he became Khalifa of the Muslims. So I wanted to highlight these, these two things, these two key uh, factors that when you want leaders like Umar Abdul Abdul Aziz, they need to be produced. And to produce them, they need to have a few qualities. First, they need to be born on the deen, on taqwa, being given the knowledge of Quran, of fiqh, of hadith, all the Islamic sciences. And then they need to acquire leadership qualities. Leaders, they have to be made, they're not born. You need, that, you, need, you need that determination, that foresight, that political shrewdness, political awareness, all of these qualities before you can assume this, this role of Khalifa. All of these skills have to be built up. And so Umar had experience in both. He was nurtured with knowledge by the scholars and he was given a position of leadership and his father was a governor, his uh, uh, cousins and his uncles were khulafa. So he grew up in that kind of environment that nurtured all these qualities, all these skills in him, rahimahullah, that we saw later on when he became Khalifa of the Muslims. So this is, these are some of the things that I wanted to highlight that are of great importance for us to understand on how Umar became Umar, how he became the righteous Khalifa. And you can't overlook these matters, they're absolutely vital in understanding how these leaders came about. And so now when we go to the Khilafah of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, and we look at the Khalifa that he became, we understand this was all as a result of his nurturing and his upbringing. So when he became Khalifa, he already had all these qualities. A lot of the leaders of Banu Umayyah, what happened was they would just inherit inherent the Khilafa because their father was Khalifa or their brother was Khalifa and they are next in line. So most of the time they didn't necessarily have the qualities of leadership. It could be a strong leader but he lacks knowledge in taqwa. He could have knowledge in taqwa but he doesn't have the, the strength and the leadership qualities. So a lot of them at that time inherited the Khilafa. They, were, they weren't given the Khilafa based upon merit. So Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, he stood out in this way because really he was given the Khilafah based upon merit, not right of inheritance. So his cousin uh, Sulaiman, he was the Khalifa of the Muslims before him. And so Sulaiman, he was a bit different to the rest of Banu Umayyah. He wasn't that much of a tyrant. He had sincerity, he was pious, he had good qualities. And Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, he was one of his advisors. So he was always advising him and Suleiman would listen to what he had to say as compared to the Khulafat that came before. So Suleiman, he was really, when he got, he, knew he was sick and he was close to his death. And he started pondering, who, who is he going to make Khalifa? His sons were still too young. They couldn't, they couldn't be Khalifa. And so should he just pass it on to his brothers? And so there was a scholar around Sulaiman, his name was Raja, a righteous man who would also advise uh, Sulaiman. And so he sort of pushed him towards and allowed him to see that Umar really is, is, is the only one that should be next in line. And so Sulaiman, before his death, he wrote down that Umar ibn Abdul Aziz should become the Khalifa. But this wasn't announced publicly to the, to the family of Banu Umayyah. 
Because for Banu Umayyah, that was that's something they were never going to accept. Umar was not part of the, directly part of the royal family. He wasn't the son of Sulaiman, nor was he a brother of Sulaiman. And so what this Khala Raja did was, when Sulaiman wrote down his will, that who should become Khalifa, the instructions, who should be Khalifa, he sat down Banu Umayyah, and he took, before he announced to them who the Khalifa was, he took from them the bay'ah, each person individually, that you're going to hear and obey. And then once he got all of their, their, uh, their pledges, he got the bay'ah from them, then he stood up and he announced Umar was going to be the Khalifa. Banu Umayyah was shocked. Some of them even stood up and said, we'll never accept this. Raja said, sit down or I'll chop your head. So really, Umar ibn, ibn Abdul Aziz, he was chosen, he became Khalifa based upon merit. Not because he, was, he inherited the Khilafah. So he got the position in the right way. And the, from the very first moment, he set the ground, set the ground of how his Khilafah will be established. From the first moment when he gave his speech, he said, I'm not fit for this leadership and I don't want it. But the people pushed on him, no, we only want you, we'll accept no one except you. He said, all right. He said, I'm going to establish the basis of my Khilafah. My constitution is the Quran and the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah Because at that time, under leadership of Banu Umayyah, a lot of practices had come in that were not strictly from the Quran and the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah And a lot of oppression was taking place, especially in terms of uh, killing people, in terms of collection of taxes, in terms of the Baytul Mal, the wealth of the Muslims, a lot of the wealth was being hoarded by the royal family, by, 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 by the Banu Umayyah, the kings and the princes, uh, the Khalifas, instead of circulating the wealth amongst the Muslims. So there was some abuse of power. So Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, from the outset, he said, from now on, everything is going to be on Quran and Sunnah. And he is well qualified in this area because we said he was raised and he had become a scholar. He was raised by the scholars and the companion Abdullah ibn Umar and he himself was a scholar. See, he knew the practices that were going on and he knew what was against the Quran and the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah So the very first thing he said, everything should be based upon Quran and Sunnah. So he went through the state's laws and every practice that was not established from Quran and Sunnah that would be abolished. And then he started going through. And these are now to, to mention some of his reforms. And how so quickly was he able, you know, after a period, we know during the period of Banu Umayyah, there was a lot of instability. There was a lot of rebellion. Uh, there was a lot of angst. Not, you know, not a lot of people were happy. Islam was not established in the right way. Islam was not spread in the right way. Taxes, people were taxed heavily. People were oppressed. People were killed. People were jailed. So there was a bit of turmoil, turmoil during this period. So Umar Abdul Aziz, Umar Abdul Aziz he, there was a lot to accomplish. Right? There, there, was, there was a lot happening in the Ummah. And it was a very tricky period to become Khalifa at that time. So he, Rahimahullah, he started his reign and then he started bringing in reforms one by one to correct all the rights, uh, to correct the wrongs that had been taking place. So now we look through and mention some of the reforms that really has ha had an effect to change the situation of the Ummah, to establish justice, to get rid of rebellion, and to really fulfill the rights of the people until we know the famous sayings that reached the point where there was nobody to be found to collect any zakah. There was really no poor people. Right? How was all this accomplished? 
he went back rahimahullah and all he did was apply Islam apply the correct practices and the sunnah of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam so some of the things he did was instead of relying on taxes instead of just the state you know baytul mal instead of revenue being primarily based upon taxes taken from people he requested all the governors encourage the citizens to practice agriculture right let people work don't monopolize land right let you if there's if we have so much land and so much arable land and so much land that could be used you know if at the very least people can grow uh crops to feed themselves if you allow people to grow uh, to grow crops and feed themselves the state doesn't have to worry about uh, paying them from Baytul Mal, all right, distributing the zakah money on them because they have food to eat, right? So this is one of the, the the reforms. Instead of relying on taxes, he said all the governors encouraged the citizens to practice agriculture. So he applied the Sunnah of the Messenger the Hadith. He said that if anybody had a piece of land and they didn't cultivate it for three years, then that land was to be taken from them and given to someone else who would cultivate it, all right? And really, you know, when, when, you know, when we look around these days, you know, um, economics has been made into such a you know, uh, complex issue that it's like we've been given the picture that poverty is almost incurable. There's no way to solve the issue of poverty. And economics, it's so complex that only certain minds and people can understand it. The commoners, you can never understand it. And so many different... Uh, uh, theories on how you know trickle down theories and how do we get the wealth into the population really you know it's it's not as complex as it's made out to be solving the issue of poverty is not as complex as it's made out to be right? islam the, the sunnah of the mission allah brought about laws to simplify this to make it easy it's not something beyond the realm of possibility that you can have a population that has enough food to eat allah created land created rizq there's the land there to be used so the main issue, what's happening these days that Umar reformed was you're allowing corporations, you're allowing people to, to monopolize certain industries. So companies, uh, landowners put their hand on agriculture. And so we have hectares and hectares of land, but none of it is being used. What's it doing? Who owns it? Why is it, you know, the, the people uh, stopped from its benefit? Why is it just circular amongst few? When a few people control certain industries, the wealth will just circulate amongst those corporations, amongst those individuals. And at the time of Banu Umayyah, that's what was happening. A lot of the wealth was circulating in their hands. So they were so rich and so wealthy. So Umar radiallahu anhu, he came about to change all of this. Right? So he said, all of this land that the government has put its hands on, oh, this is public wealth. This is for the ummah. Open up the land, let the people use it. If you cultivate a land, you fence it, then you're allowed to use it. If you don't use that land, it'll be taken from you and it'll be given to someone else. They'll produce their own crops, they'll live off the land, they'll sell that, they'll use that money for clothing. So now you got business, now you got circulation of wealth. And one of the first things, his initial policies was when he became Khalifa, he saw all the wealth that Banu Umayyah had taken and collected and amassed oppressively. They had stolen the rights of the Muslims. So he went through the whole family of Banu Umayyah rigorously. And he checked everything. 
Every single dollar, every single cent, where was this getting from? Is this lawful? Is this unlawful? And he went through and everything that was unlawful, it was returned to its owners or was put in Baytul Mal, the treasury of the Muslims. And he started with himself. Because he, Rahimahullah, before he became Khalifa, he lived as part of the royal family. So he lived a he, uh, well-off lifestyle. Right? But when he became Khalifa, he understood the enormity of the situation. Right? And, it, and we have these moments in life. Sometimes certain events transform you. Yes, I've lived in a certain way before. Yes, he was a righteous man. Yes, uh, he had knowledge. He was well off. You're allowed to be rich. When he became Khalifa, now the, the, the responsibility on his shoulders and what was required of him was something completely different. And even though he was wealthy before, the wealth did not dictate his life. So when he became Khalifa and it, it became time to get rid of this wealth, Rahimahullah, he got rid of all that wealth. He took all his wealth, all his land, all his houses, all his properties, all his slaves, and he put it back in the Baytul Mal. His wife, Rahimahullah, uh, she was the, the daughter and the sister of Khulafa. The jewelry and the wealth and the gold that she had, was immense. So he said to her, O oh Fatima, if you want to remain with me, all this jewelry, all this wealth that you have, you go and you put it in Baytul Mal. Or else I will divorce you. So she said, Oh Umar, I choose you. Of course I choose you. So she took all her wealth, all her possessions, and she put it in Baytul Mal. So he started with himself as the example, and he went through the whole royal family, and all that wealth was taken unlawfully, was returned to the Ummah of Muhammad so already now, enormous change was taking place. All this wealth was returning back to the Muslims and starting to circulate amongst the Muslims. And it's no wonder that later on, there's nobody to be found that needed zakah. Because he opened up land for agriculture, for business, and he stopped the, circulate, uh, he stopped the monopoly of wealth in the royal family, and he allowed it to circulate amongst the Muslims. And some more of his reforms, he stopped state officials from entering into any business. So if you're a governor, uh, if you're connected to the government in any way, and we know those are positions of power. So it's very easy for you to, to uh, overuse that position to amass wealth. And that's what was happening. Right? People are taking advantage that they have power, that they have authority in their business dealings, in their transactions. So if you're a state official and the state is looking after you and you're getting um, your payments and handsome payments, then he said you shouldn't be... Um, taking part in any business anymore. Right? You're being well paid by the state. That's your job. Your job is not business. So you do your job. You're not allowed to, to any business anymore. All unpaid labor was made illegal, which is against the, the teachings of the Messiah. If you work a job, then it's your right to be paid for that job. The pasture lands and the game reserves, which has previously were reserved for families of higher ranks, they were taken and they were distributed amongst the poor of the Muslims for the purpose of cultiva cultivation. He urged all officials that if there's any complaints, if there's any injustice, all right, if somebody, a citizen comes to you with a complaint, you can't deal with it the way you did before to imprison them or you know, even in some cases kill them. No, this is their right to speak out against Muqar. If they've been uh, unjustly d uh, dealt with, then it's their right. Listen to their complaint. Go look into their complaint. If they have a right, then give them their justice. You have to listen to them. Anybody is mistreating someone, then that has to be looked after. That mistreatment has to be stopped. 
he wrote to all the prison guards not to handcuff people. All right, and he said to them, if your power over people were to were, uh, were to lead you to treat the prisoners unjustly, then remember the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he's trying to get rid of injustice. He's trying to get rid of officials, people of power, abusing their position, abusing their power. He prohibited any insults upon Ali radiallahu anhu. We know when Banu Umayyah took power and the conflict between Muawiyah and Ali. And so this angst continued in the Ummah and... Unfortunately, at that time, to show you, some, you know, the level of some of the things up to that, insults and, and curses would be hurled upon Ali in, in the Friday sermons during the khutbah. So he put a stop to that. Rahimahullah. And, you know, a lot of the, uh, at that time, Banu Umayyah, a lot of their revenue would come from the jizya. Right? And what they did when they opened new lands, they would not encourage people to become Muslim because they wanted to collect the jizya from them. Imagine it had gotten to this point where the state, you know, you know, a lot of its drive was to collect taxes and collect wealth from the people. So the Banu Umayyah would collect jizya and they would not encourage the people of new lands to become Muslim. And even after they came to Islam, they would continue to collect jizya from them. So Ibn Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, he stopped this practice. This is completely un-Islamic. Jizya is to be paid if you're not a Muslim. Once you become a Muslim, there's no more jizya to be paid. And Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, he didn't view the new lands, you know, when we open new lands, this is a, you know, a, a chance to collect wealth and collect jizya and taxes. We're spreading Islam. We should be preaching Islam. So he sent out scholars into these, into these lands and he spread the knowledge and the culture of Islam amongst the masses. Right? And, and a lot of people at that time, due to this effort of Umar Abdul Aziz, the people of Persia, they all came to Islam. Right? Because before Islam was not being encouraged to collect the, the jizya. So he changed all of that practice. Our role is to spread Islam. So he spread, he sent scholars, he, he said du'at, um, callers to Islam. He spread the culture of Islam, encouraged people to come to Islam and stop this practice of collecting jizya from people that had, had become Muslim. And in fact, you know, even though people became Muslim, the revenue of the state didn't fall. At, as Banu Umayyah were fearing that if people become Muslim, they stop paying the jizya, then our revenues are going to go down. Well, the opposite effect happened. The revenues went up because he, he, he put into practice all those other things. We spoke about agriculture, land, business, right? giving people back their rights, stopping the abuse of power and the, and the monopoly of wealth. So the revenues of the state were increasing and they were not decreasing. And Umar also stopped the practice of ruthlessly putting down any rebellion. So if, if there's a rebellion or if somebody has some kind of objection or there's some kind of abuse or injustice, somebody wants to speak out, we don't silence them by killing them. But you have to go in and listen, understand, all right, who is this person? Or was he unjustly dealt with? Is he really a rebel? Do they have any rights? Should we just imprison them? So he stopped this ruthlessness and this practice of intimidation and killing and bloodshed. And he would listen to the, to, to, to the injustices and, and the rights that were taken uh, from people. And you know, to, to give you an idea of how he dealt with the Muslims, right? to get rid of all this rebellion, all this angst, uh, when one of the governors of Khurasan, he complained to Umar that, you know, with all these new laws that you're applying, your new practices, he said, the people here, 
they're wild and rebellious. He said, nothing but the whip and the sword can control them. What did Umar reply? He said to him, your theory that nothing but the whip and the sword can control your people is absolute nonsense. He said, truth and justice can control them. Spread truth and justice in your reign and you will control the people. Because why? If, if you spread justice, if you're looking after the affairs of the people, if you're spreading the wealth amongst them, then what reason would they have to rebel against you? You will take away any reason for their angst, for their rebellion, for their unhappiness. So Amr Abdul Aziz, uh, through this justice and not the sword, he was able to bring peace and tranquility in all the other rebellious factions under the Khilafah uh, and during the time of Banu Umayyah. He brought all that peace and stability and he brought them under control. And the, all of this was done during a period of two years and four or five months. Umar ibn Abdul Aziz was about to bring about all, all this change. All that instability that had occurred before him, all the injustice, all the oppression, all the killing, all the, you know, uh, you know, the poverty, everything that was occurring. In two and a half years, it got to a state where there were no more, hardly any rebellion. Things were tranquil. There was peace. And it got to a point, as we said, where people really could not find, it was hard to find someone to take your zakat money. Because the wealth was being distributed in the right way, because land and, and agriculture was being opened up, business was being encouraged, really there was no reason, there should be no reason for anyone to be without a job, for anyone to, to be poor. It should not be the norm, or a huge minority of the population should be living in poverty. Two and a half years, he brought about all of these reforms, rahimahullah, through, through his actions and through his reforms, rahimahullah. So this was the Khilafah of Umar, Ibn Abdul Aziz, this righteous Khalifa of the Muslims. And when we look at this period, you know, just to get some lessons for us today, for, for, for the revival of the Ummah, you know, how can we use his life as an example? How can we take out lessons? Because as we said earlier many times, these stories are not meant for stories, are not meant for some entertainment on a Wednesday night. But really, you need, from the lives of these righteous, there must be examples, there must be lessons learned to once more produce this kind of leadership and this kind of effect in the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And so when we look at his life, rahimahullah, we can see that really, even now, if you live in a period of turmoil, turmoil period of injustice, that the condition of the Ummah can change really quickly. And the Ummah, you can, you can revive the Ummah very quickly. Right? All it takes is the right people in the right positions, the right leadership, and things can change so quickly. And so these days, you know, when we look at the condition and we think, how's anything going to change? You know, how are we ever going to get the leadership back? Even if we get the leadership, how can we right all of these wrongs? How can we change all this oppression, all this injustice? Right? That period of Umar's life, two and a half years, tells us you can. Right? Reform and change can come about so quickly if you implement the right policies. And this has happened many, many times. Not just in the history of Islam. But even if you look back to the Russian Revolution, the, the Communist Socialist Revolution. Even if you look back to the, to, to, to the time of Hitler and in his change, and his revolution. Right? Within four or five years, they were able to completely transform 
Russia and transform Germany, all right? And this is uh, with, 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 with man-made laws, all right? Men that had nothing to do with Islam. If they could change their society and their condition, we know the condition, how Russia was and how Germany was, they were in a really bad position economically. And so change took place four or five years until they became powers. And so if that can be done, Imagine what the, the Muslims can do with the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the policies and the ahkam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala change can come about so quickly. So don't look at the situation now and think how, think how can things ever change? Even if we, if we take power, even if we take the leadership, how can we right all these wrongs? Umar ibn Abdul Aziz taught us rahimahullah that it can be done and it can be done very very quickly. He went from that situation of Van Umayya, all that turmoil, all that injustice in two and a half years. He completely changed the condition and the situation of the Ummah. He was feeding everyone. Everyone is happy. Everyone is content. But his constitution was the Quran and the Sunnah. He implemented the policies of Allah and His Messenger. Economics and you know, um, government uh, uh, laws and structures and ruling, it's not as complex as it's made out to be. Yes, it needs skill. Uh, yes, it needs shrewdness. Uh, uh, there's, there's a lot involved. It's a lot to take. But it's not an impossible task. If you have the right people, like Omar, as we said, leaders that were nurtured, leaders that were produced. He was, he was raised on the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was raised with the knowledge of the deen by the righteous companions. He was given positions of leadership to get him uh, into that role to give him the character, the political shrewdness, the maneuverability. He was given all these qualities. And so when he became Khalifa and he implemented his policies, change came about so quick. And this is Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. And this is why he became known as the righteous Khalifa. He brought the Ummah back to the times of when Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali were the Khulafa. And how did he do that? By implementing the same policies of the Quran and the Sunnah. I so say, can we repeat these righteous times? Can we have another righteous Khalifa? Absolutely. How? By producing these people in the Ummah. And so, if we want these leaders in the future, we've got to be thinking towards the future, long term. In the Ummah, how, how are we going to produce these leaders? We have to produce them in households built upon taqwa. And households built upon the deen of Allah, upon the, giving them the knowledge of the Quran, of the Sunnah, and nurturing them with character, political awareness, analysis, shrewdness, getting them somehow into positions of leadership. All right, all of that to nurture the right leaders in the future. And so, when the time comes and we assume the power, the leadership of the Ummah of Muhammad when the Ummah gets back that authority, then we can have men and women in those positions men in positions of leadership that can implement the correct policies like the Khulafa al-Rashidun and then you will have a righteous period like the time of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. So it's not something with, uh, beyond the realm of possibility. So when we look back to the life of Umar and how he was known as the righteous Khalifa, this is not something that happened in history and that we can talk about now and be amazed about now and we'll say the stories at that time people couldn't find anyone to give zakat to that the Ummah can never witness this again. No. The lesson to take from his life is this can be replicated. How? By following that same methodology. First, with an eye to producing these kinds of leaders, you have to make them, you have to nurture them, you have to get, uh, uh, produce them, get the, correct, the correct environment 
to, 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 to make these leaders and then you implement the same policies they implemented. And then once more you will have righteous leaders and a righteous khilafah. And that is the life of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. That is why he was the righteous Khalifa. He still, and he, until this time, he stands up and we still speak about him and his story is, is mentioned because of all of the things that we've spoken about. And we can once more produce these kinds of leaders. If we raise these kinds of leaders, nurture these kinds of leaders, and then we implement the same policies. Our constitution is the Quran and the Sunnah. And as we saw from his life, within a short period, two and a half years, he transformed the Ummah. And inshallah, in the future, when we assume power, within a short period, we can completely transform the life of the Ummah of Muhammad. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalatu wassalamu ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.